Welcome to Got You Covered, presented by Hickok and Boardman Insurance Group, the podcast where we unpack the countless ways in which insurance affects our lives, and so you can properly manage your unique risk. Welcome to another episode, everybody, of Got You Covered, presented by Hickok and Boardman Insurance Group. I'm your host, Ryan Lee, client advisor with the firm. Today, we're bringing you another episode in our Workers' Comp mini-series. Today, we have Jen Barrett, Vice President and Director of Risk Management. We also have Lindsay Farah. She's a Risk Management Advisor. Both are licensed work comp adjusters as well. Important note, we'll get to that later in the podcast. But for now, welcome, Lindsay. Thanks for having us, Ryan. Glad to be back. Yes. Yeah, thanks for having us. Welcome, Jen. It's great to have you both back for another episode. And um, I don't think I asked you this last time, but I've been getting on this kick of asking people this um, with the other episodes. Just a little backstory. How did you even get into insurance in the first place? Yeah, so actually, um, you can thank Jen for uh, my entry into insurance about eight years ago. Uh, Jen and I rode horses together, and I was actually in dentistry for six years prior to going into insurance. Yeah, so it kind of happened um, by default, was ready for a career change, and uh, so here I am. I started, I actually didn't go to college. Um, I started working at a daycare right after high school and I decided uh, absolutely not this is not for me (laughs) and so um, through a connection my mother had I had the opportunity to go to work for Liberty Mutual and I started working in the mailroom there as an office assistant and I um, that was a, a central legal billing unit so very different to what I do now and then from there I went to underwriting sales risk management and now risk management at an agency. So it's been an interesting ride, I guess. That's awesome. That's awesome. Uh, Quite a success story, I'd say, too. So today, for our second episode in this work comp mini-series, we're really going to talk about kind of the importance of managing relationships and conversation and communication with the employee, the adjuster, the agent, the employer, and why that's a critical piece before a claim, during a claim, and after a claim. And so let's start with that. What kind of things, before a claim, a workers' comp claim even happens, what kind of best practices would you share with the listeners for what businesses should have in place ahead of a claim? Yeah, absolutely. I think a few uh, key items to put in place before a claim happens that'll make the process smoother if you already have these things in place is a really solid return to work program. Um, So you're getting your employees back to work right away when possible if they have light duty. Um, Another piece is communication. So have your employees be trained on the line of communication. Who are they supposed to go to if an injury happens? Is that their supervisor? Is that directly to HR? And the ultimately um, timely reporting um, is a big piece of that. So making sure the supervisors, managers, team leads are trained on who they need to report to right away instead of just kind of making those decisions themselves for where that claim needs to go. Let's talk about that for a second. You said timely reporting. That's a question I get all the time. Uh, people are always question. Our business owners are always questioning whether or not they should report a claim, whether or not you know. 
just talk about why that's important. Yeah, so that's really important because sometimes, you know, the workers' comp process in general for both the employer and the employee can be quite overwhelming. It's very process-oriented and it has to be done a certain way because it's statute-driven. So if you um, are reporting timely, you have the best outcome for your employee and for you guys as the employer because you don't want your employee to show up for treatment not have a claim be filed and you know the treatment center being asking for money from the employee or their personal insurance or something else that they shouldn't necessarily feel that they have to give out um, for a work-related injury so that is uh, certainly a key in the reporting process and every state has different requirements as to when a claim needs to be filed. So it's really important if you're operating in more than one state to kind of understand what those parameters are. Um, states, there are states that will fine people, employers, if they are beyond those statutory time frames. So um, it's really important to kind of understand what states you're operating in and, and what time frames you have to report um, those claims within. And I think um, an element of this you touched on in the first episode of this mini series, but just to revisit quickly, medical only versus more serious injury time off. Yeah, so there is, um, you know, what we would call, there's kind of a three series of types of incidents. So there's first aid only, which really means something that you could technically treat in-house, something that you don't necessarily need to send your employee for treatment for, however you chose to, instead of kind of um, bandaging them up at work, so to speak. So that's called a first aid only claim. And then there is a medical only claim where the employee doesn't lose any compensable lost time from work. And again, to Jen's point, there's different um, waiting periods within each state. So it's important to understand the states that you operate in and what those waiting periods are. So you can help your employee navigate that process as to whether or not it's going to be a lost time claim. Hmm. All of that is driven by medical documentation. So the employee can't necessarily say, oh, I think I tweaked my back. I want to take a couple days off. They have to be seen and the doctor has to put that in writing for it to be considered compensable lost time. Good point. Most states offer you some sort of a discount if you do keep a claim medical only. So by having a return to work program, if you can get people back to work, even if it's you know with modifications or restrictions, you can keep a claim medical only and therefore get the 70% discount in your experience mod. New York is unfortunately one of the states that doesn't offer that, but most of the other states have, um, have that built in. Um, so having a return to work program is probably one of the largest ways that you can save money on your workers' comp. And there is even, so even though New York doesn't offer that discount, we, it's very important to note that there are still huge benefits to getting your employees back to work. You know, there's statistics that have proven that employees who are sticking with their daily routine, being around their colleagues, they keep a better mindset and the claims are more apt to cost less money because again, they're getting their treatment, they're staying at work, um, and the process is smoother and they feel better overall. You touched on it, but, um, what about, what about the importance of really having a true occupational health facility yeah. relationship for yeah, the business? That's definitely something that you want from a best practice perspective, Ryan. So just going back to what you'd want to set up prior to having a claim happen is having a relationship with an occupational health facility. And, you know, some employees will see that and they'll say, well, why do I have to go see your doctor, they'll say. Um, but really, we want our employees to understand that it's beneficial for them because if they needed a referral um, to physical therapy or if they needed an x-ray or diagnostic testing, that OC health facility is more apt to get them in for that right away versus seeing their PCP who has, you know, been treating them their whole 
whole life and is looking at the overall picture, they're not as apt to get them the treatment that they need as quickly as they need it. That makes a lot of sense. They also usually have a good idea of the employer's operations because they've been working with them for a little bit of time. So that's obviously helpful in in returning people back to work to know, okay, I'm sending Joe Smith back to this role. I know they have light duty and I'm comfortable with that happening where a a primary care physician may not understand what their return to work program looks like. And then therefore they're, you know, they're really guessing when it comes to return to work. And oftentimes because of that, they're a little bit more conservative in releasing people to go back to work. So we, we typically find that the primary care physicians will keep people out of work longer than a occupational health facility. Interesting. Yeah. That's an interesting factoid. I didn't realize that. Yeah. The other thing that we want to try to avoid, um, if at all possible, in the workers' comp process is the emergency room. So unless it's a true emergency, um, we don't want to utilize the emergency room because, again, to Jen's point, they are actually just going to write the employee out of work and have them follow up with their PCP. So it does, you know, kind of extend the um, time for the employee to get the appropriate treatment. So it's only really um, a good thing to do if it is a true emergency. Man, there's a lot of moving parts to a workers' comp claim. We want what's best for the employee at all times, right? But we also want what's best for the employer. There's an adjuster involved. There's also us or the agent, right? How do you manage that and what's the best way to make sure there's proper communication with all of them yeah so you know as an as your agent and licensed workers comp adjusters um jen and myself and our team you know we're really good about making sure you guys kind of understand what everyone's role is within the process because again the workers comp system is very overwhelming uh especially to the employee and especially if they haven't had an injury before so we want them to to understand that it is process oriented so they may say hey I was referred to physical therapy. How come my physical therapist won't schedule me yet because it hasn't been authorized? So those are times when you can lean on us and pick up the phone and say, you know, who needs to do this authorization? How do we manage this authorization? We want you to have that open line of communication with us. And then it's easier for, you know, you guys to build that rapport with the adjuster and the adjuster to kind of understand your process and procedure and return to work protocol so that they can pick up the phone and call you and say, hey, Joe Smith has a 10 pound lifting restriction. Are you able to accommodate that versus kind of that radio silence where the employee doesn't really understand what's going on and and sometimes they aren't their own best advocate when it comes to their Mm. treatment plan. So we need Mm -hmm. someone on their side to help them navigate that. And that's kind of the adjuster's job. But these adjusters at the carrier level are managing lots of claims. So sometimes they're looking at them all the same, whereas we can think outside the box a little bit and help them say, okay, you know, maybe we should look at it this way. Or maybe we should assign a nurse case manager so that employee has someone to help advocate for them because they're not the person who's going to go say, you know, be bold to the doctor and say, I want a second opinion or I want something else. Um, So we want to help them through that process. Sounds like having the licensed work comp adjuster at the agency level as we do, um, and also the license adjuster at the carrier level is a key uh, factor in making it go smoothly. Because if there's only one license adjuster, that's a critical set of knowledge and skills that's only being leveraged in one area of the communication. Yeah, absolutely. And Lindsay and I are both licensed workers' comp adjusters. And, um, you know, when you get licensed to sell insurance, You learn a little bit about every line of coverage, right? And you know the ins and outs of a workers' comp policy really well. But when it comes, you know, the rubber hits the road and it comes claim time, 
Um, I genuinely feel like our expertise and our licensing, uh, being adjust, uh, licensed adjusters, definitely helps kind of gets our get our clients over that hump and helps guide them through the entire process. That's great. Are there any other common missteps that we haven't mentioned um, that some businesses should be thinking about when they're they're you know, considering I th- this? I think it's always good to train your supervisors, right? We see a lot of things go awry um, at the supervisor level, and it's genuinely because there's a lack of knowledge there, a lack of training there. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of claims are uh, or incidences are reported to supervisors. Sometimes that information doesn't necessarily make its way to HR, um, and therefore a claim never gets reported. And then uh, Lindsay and, and Kate, our other teammate, and, and myself are left kind of cleaning up the mess a little bit. Um, and it puts the employee in a really difficult position when it comes to claim time. Um, and so we spend a fair amount of time, you know, our loss prevention uh, folks spend a fair amount of time training supervisors as to what is the protocol and what do you do if somebody comes to you mm-hmm. and says, hey, I've had, I, I just tweaked my back, now what? Um, and our answer to them is, always go to HR. If you're a supervisor and somebody has indicated that they've potentially injured themselves, that information should never just resonate with them. It should definitely be provided to HR so that HR can then do their thing. Yeah, and part of that is um, because at the uh, state statute level, there is, uh, to Jen's point, late reporting. So in that doesn't matter. So it's as soon as anybody at the business knows that there was an incident. So if that sits with the supervisor for, you know, say two weeks, and then the employee still needs treatment after that, that's a pretty significantly late reported claim at that point. And then, you know, the adjuster has to do what's called a recorded statement, which can make the employee feel like they're being challenged or their claim wasn't legitimate. And it actually hinders them from getting the appropriate treatment timely. Interesting. Any other final thoughts uh, on this topic of, of, you know, managing the relationship with the employee, adjuster, the agent, the, you know, making sure it goes smooth? Yeah, I mean, I think a huge piece is just, you know, communication, asking the questions. There's no silly question when it comes to reaching out to our team. You know, we're always happy to answer questions for you guys, for your employees. Um, and, you know, we're happy to kind of facilitate the process with getting you into an Auk Health clinic or, you know, building that relationship with your adjuster at the carrier level so they understand your business and what you guys do. We're, we're really happy to help you facilitate that and to kind of make sure that process runs smoothly. I would echo that. I think communication solves a lot of problems when it comes to the workers' comp claim side of things. Um, it, it can, you know, eliminate employees going to attorneys because they're frustrated with the po- uh, process. So I think good communication between all parties is, is really the key to make things go as smoothly as possible. Awesome. Well, thanks for, thanks for joining us again. Uh, we'll have you back on for a third episode in the work comp mini series here. But uh, thank you everybody for listening. This has been another episode of Got You Covered presented by Hickok and Boardman Insurance Group. We'll see you next time.